0: Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Sean Boyce. I'm the founder of Next Step Product Strategy. Uh, my guest I have here with me today is Don Sandusky. He's the owner and general manager of Handboards, and his unofficial title is Head Surf Skate Dude. He's a mechanical engineer with a PhD in applied sciences from William & Mary, holds 10 U.S. patents, and has been featured on ABC's hit TV show, Shark Tank, and successfully secured a deal for his company, Hamboards. Hello, Don, thank you for being on the show. Hi, happy to be here. All right, so that's a lot of exciting stuff and plenty of good stuff for us to talk about. I guess a great place to start is, can you tell us a little bit more about how, what handboards is? Sure, so from a product
1: perspective, handboards is a, a skateboard that's too long and too wide in turns way too much for a lot of people, but what it does is it mimics the sensation of surfing on land better than any other board we've ever been able to find. And so, handboards was a was born in the garage shop of a Huntington Beach, California fireman who was trying to get his five-toe haired blue eyed boys out of the house, uh, and into the road. Now from a, from a business perspective, you know, it took six or seven years of Peter, you know, m- making new boards to tweak for the boys and changing the designs. And then all of a sudden the neighbors wanted him to make one for them. And, and it got to be a real hassle uh for pete and uh he kind of ran the white flag up the pole uh and uh and so i um i uh had had some experience as a sporting goods executive and as an entrepreneur and so you know over breakfast one day in huntington beach you know i agreed to kind of take on the challenge of helping peter who really came up with a concept uh, and, uh, and got it going. I, I just decided to, to stop what I was doing and help him try to turn it into a business. So, and that was uh, seven or eight years ago.
0: Very cool. And I, I've seen, so I've been your website, obviously uh, I've, I've seen a bit more about the product. I've seen it in action and I have to admit, it looks super cool. In the videos, it really does look to me like people are surfing on land. I don't even know how you did that, (laughs) but that looks super (laughs) cool. Like I want to try it. I haven't really surfed all that much. I've done more skateboarding than I have surfing, but I I can't wait honestly to like play around with one and try it out. It's a very cool, very cool product. It's
1: the neat thing about it is is it makes the surfing sensation more accessible to more people because you know. If anyone listening has ever actually caught a wave surfing or tried to surf, think about how complex that process is. You know, you have to have mother nature deliver you a wave. You need to have paddled to just the right spot to plunge straight in. And and you need to have had the courage to push the nose down and, and dive in. And then you have to have the, 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 the capability of popping up and immediately turning into you know, you know, an active interaction between a wave and the board under your feet and pull that off. Whereas, you know, when my kids were six or seven years old, and we had them out in the driveway, you know, on a flat driveway, they could lay down on our board and paddle down the road and, and practice popping up without having the complexifier of the wave. And, uh, and that's really kind of what we've been going for. Uh, we've been not, not really trying to develop a surrogate for surfing. It's kind of its own thing and it really is just fun. And so, you know, the purpose of the business really is to help more people have fun by experiencing that
0: super cool sensation of board sports in their driveways. It's really cool. And that's a really great point as in the market, obviously, I'm sure size-wise just for how many people that can't or aren't in a location where surfing is necessarily accessible to them, but want to get that same sensation and experience uh, can obviously be achieved with your product, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. All right. So I have to ask, as you had mentioned, and where I've seen elsewhere, what do you do? And really what does it mean to be the head surf skate dude?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I got called that, uh, when I was visiting a manufacturer in China and, uh, I was like, wow, you know, I, I've come <laughs> this awesome. far in life, you know, to, to be anointed. Uh, but you know, the truth is, is that what we do, uh, is kind of its own category, you know, and, and I wasn't the one who invented surf skating and frankly, neither was Peter. Uh, but surf skating is kind of a, is kind of a category of a style of truck, which is the turning mechanism for the board. So surfscape doesn't really, you know, necessarily get defined by the shape of the skateboard deck, let's say, or the size of it. It really has to do with how much they turn and how they feel. So there's a couple different, you know, mechanisms, let's say, uh, for facilitating the surfskate type of sensation in a board sport and uh so yeah i'm the guy that thinks a lot about how the mechanism works um it's just a it's just a beautiful um machine um that you know includes a a wave cam and includes a compressive spring and it it includes this neat articulation and a special kind of lubrication uh that that and it has to be stupendously robust and, uh, and handle incredible mechanical loads. Uh, and so I'm really kind of the guy who makes sure the stuff doesn't break. That's what, I guess that's what I mean is, I'm continually tweaking gear so that stuff doesn't break. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it for eight years now. So there's been lots of neat little things that I had to figure out how to fix. And frankly, that's been the funnest part of the job for me is the challenge of, of product. I just love, love, fixing product and tweaking it and making it better all the time and it it takes me back to when i was a boy windsurfing and you know every time i got a universal which connects the sail to the deck you know i would break i would pop universals all the time and i would sit there and complain about why can't these guys figure out how to give me a universal that doesn't break or why can't when i you know when i uh why does why am i breaking mass like how come these fiberglass masks can't be designed to not break whenever I'm leaning into a 60 mile an hour gale force wind, you know, and, you know, hence, you know, went to, grad, went to uh, engineering school and figured out how to be a product guy myself. So it is easily the best
0: part of the gig. Very cool. I can definitely tell the passion uh, in your voice <laughs> from what you've been doing. And that's so important. We talk about it all the time. There's three things that we talk about with anyone that's looking to build some form of product and it's ensuring that you have that passion proficiency is obviously important and then obviously market demand. So you could turn it into a viable business, but that's really cool. And that's a great place to transition. So I know you obviously have a, you have a ton of experience in product, obviously. Can you talk a little bit more about your background and how you found your way, you know, ultimately how you transitioned into handboards, but also maybe how you got into product originally for our audience?
1: Sure. I mean, there's a few ways to slice that one. And uh, how did you get into product originally? You know, if I'm completely honest, when I grew up as a boy, I got a lot of hand-me-down toys, and most of these clockwork-type toys were busted, right? So I just loved to take toys apart and figure out why they were broken. Even though I knew I had no chance of fixing them, um, I just love to take stuff apart. And then I'd, I'd, I'd go gra- find a box of broken toys and just tear them apart and make them much more broken and throw them away. Um, and I guess that's where my fundamental curiosity came from for a product is these neat little broken plastic toys uh, that, that I would spend hours and hours uh, dissecting and, and, and discovering. And then uh you're right I mean, it ultimately led me to mechanical engineering uh major in college which uh I really never had any doubt about wanting to become a mechanical engineer and um and I and uh after college I you know I, I wasn't really ready to go to work I was a little bit burned out from college and I was enjoying being a lifeguard at the beach and uh um But I had made a connection um, through a a professional society called Sampi, Society for Advancement of Materials Processing and Engineering. I'd I'd met this guy from NASA and uh, just had a nice chat with him. Didn't think anything of it, but there I am sitting on the beach uh, looking at Labor Day coming up, wondering what in the world I'm going to do. And the phone caller rings back at the house and he's like, yeah, this is Bob from NASA. Would you like to come work here? I'm like, eh? yeah, I'll be right there. When do you need me there, Tomorrow?" And uh, <laughs> I had to go buy a car and uh, no no joke. And I, I threw the, a microwave, all the clothes I had, and, um, and one of those glass Pyrex bowls in the back of a Chrysler coupe and drove 12 hours down to Hampton, Virginia, so that I could... Uh, I could start my job on a Wednesday at, at NASA. <laughs> that's and, uh, awesome. Yeah, and and then I and then basically I got there and they're like, hey, what do you want to do? And I'm like, show me the problem around here that everybody needs knows that needs to be fixed, but nobody has time to solve. Okay, and they're like, that's easy. There you go. And and uh, and, uh, and it was super fun. I I just I kind of went back to kind of my style of tinkering, you know, since I had skills at working in a machine shop and and uh, and woodworking tools and all that stuff. They actually let me go into the shop and make parts myself, uh which they didn't do in general for 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 young people that were working there. And so I just started tinkering and uh I I in, in a way I've been tinkering with product ever since, uh, even through you know my career at DuPont and through my stint as head of product at Warrior Sports. Uh, in lacrosse uh, hockey and soccer uh, i've
0: been tinkering in product the whole way very cool and I like the part that you mentioned as well too so I'm an engineer as well also I know we talked about that, but as a when I was younger as well, I would do the same stuff I would take something that probably worked well enough, but then when I was done with it it would never work again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <a special> <laughs> finding out like I always had to know I had this like inquisitive nature about me as like I would look at something, I just lock onto it until oh, I yeah. couldn't I couldn't stop messing with them. So I'm like, how did that go together? Like how yeah does that work?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, and I'm never gonna put up this up thing back part.
0: together. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A lot of stuff a <laughs> lot of stuff couldn't go back together even if I wanted it to at that point. But no way that yeah. and then also, you know, engineering ended up being an ideal fit for me too, despite you know all the other reasons. But it's gotta be something to that. I <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree to if we connect with you there. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for that background. Super interesting stuff. And then uh, another thing I wanted to uh, talk about specifically as well too is, is when we spoke last, you had uh, mentioned you had I pulled out a specific quote you had mentioned, which I think is super important for our audience to hear from someone with as much experience as you have. And it was when you're looking to build a product or a product based business, whatever it is, you're ultimately starting with a major problem to solve. And you said that a couple of times today already, like your experience at NASA. But the quote you you quote quote you mentioned was. You have to find the obvious unmet need uh, in your words. So I want to I'd love to hear more about what that means to you. And if you could describe a little bit more about what you mean by that for our audience, I think that's going to be really helpful for them. Sure.
1: Um, So I didn't coin the phrase obvious unmet need. Uh, I'm pretty sure it came out of uh, my training at DuPont to become what they call the Six Sigma Black Belt, uh, which was really kind of like a very intensive training program for the engineers at DuPont that we're going to be solving like the, the tough problems. And uh, there were hundreds of us, by the way, it wasn't just a few of us, but, you know, it really came together with those words that, you know, if, if you're not working on something that's an obvious unmet need, how in the world do you expect to get any of the managers here at the corporation to care about what you're doing? You know, so obvious unmet needs are things that you really don't need to convince people need to be fixed, okay? It, it goes back to kind of my attitude when I walked through the door at NASA as a young man. And, and frankly, that was why I was so successful there, um, because I, I just had that understanding from a very early day. And, and whenever I say an obvious unmet need, I reject the premise that a lot of people have to say that it's a problem that everybody has or the most people possible have this problem, okay? I I don't agree with that. You don't need every most everyone to have this problem. You just need to have some people have it that it's obvious and unmet and they need it fixed right now. Okay? Because that way you know you're working on something important that somebody's gonna care about. And and that's the only way to be successful, I think, in in product manufacturing and in and in and in basically even even in the service business or writing software, you know, sometimes you don't even know what your algorithm is gonna solve besides the thing you imagine. Right. It, it could be repurposed to solve some other or many other problems. Um, you know, designing a special mechanism that, that that solves a particular articulation problem can be can be repurposed for lots of other things. I know I'm rambling now, but, you know, if you it, it's all about solving a problem and and don't worry about whether or not, you know, um, uh, everybody's going to get it. You just need to focus on when I solve this problem and I get it in front of the right person, they're gonna wanna do something about it. They're gonna want to spring into action. And so, you know, don't follow my example, please, because picking the problem I'm solving in handboards is getting people stoked on the surf sensation, you know, on the pavement. Well, guess what, that's a pretty small group of people, you know, in the scheme of things. It's not like I'm solving, you know, I'm not, I'm not creating an enabling technology for you know, 6G or whatever's coming next. So, but you know, it's a problem that to a certain group of people, they can really connect with. And the other part of it is, is they're very passionate about this, okay? Whenever people, whenever people uh, are, uh, you know, hop on our product and get the sensation, they actually fall in love with this thing. So that's the most rewarding part about, for about us you know is that whenever people get permagrin after you know their first real ride on a handboard and they really feel the surf skate, skate sensation, man, I know I'm solving an obvious problem, and then how how do you create a business from that? Well, that's a whole nother challenge um, but but, uh, but but in the fullness of time, I think uh, you know we have a good shot at doing that
0: like it and agree that same uh, as well. So in the work that we do, when we get that engagement and it's overwhelmingly positive, and then the team can see all the hard work that we've been doing and how that's translated for our target market and our customers, that definitely makes it worth it. That I, that's, I agree. That's among like the most exciting part of the work. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for down to the question that is the, is the big one. That's that's the one that we, we ask pretty much everyone. Very very curious to get your thoughts on this with all your experience in product, and that is how do you find product market fit? Yeah. So, you know, this question is
1: posed in a very elegant way, but it's extraordinarily challenging to answer in you know a paragraph or in five minutes. Because it's going to depend on so many things. Which is my way of hoping that this isn't a horrible answer, right? To Absolutely. me, totally it. I find product market fit based on the problem I'm trying to solve. So back in the day whenever um I was working uh, on the never-flat technology for the Spalding basketball. The way we found market fit was through research. We had focus group studies, and we said, okay, how many of you have a flat basketball in your garage, right? Okay, how many of you would be willing to pay $5 more for a basketball that wasn't flat, you know, as soon as you bought it? How many of you would be willing to pay ten dollars more for a basketball that, you know, lasted ten times longer, right? And so that we got statistics, right, that said, okay, this is this is how we know we have a market that because we did some experimentation, right? We got some information and data. Um, combined on top of that, we contacted our vendors and said, okay. If we ask you to make these changes to manufacturing the product does this fit and add value to what you're doing you can charge us more for it um, does it work okay it's a fit from the value chain from the supply chain perspective now okay then you go and you talk to your customers and you say that the major buyers that, that buy most of the product hey if we offer We have evidence to say that you can get $10 higher price points if you pay us $5 more. Now you're getting $5 more out of the same shelf space you were getting before. Does this fit for you? And then when you check the boxes on all of the major uh, uh, stakeholders in your business plan, and, and every single one of them says, yeah, this makes a creative value for all of us. That's how I know that I have product market fit. For for something like that, okay. But if you if you if you flip over to the almost the hyperbolic opposite amp, problem in my life at least with the Hamburg project is, hey, I'm creating a problem. I'm creating an answer to a problem that most people don't have, okay. So I can't be looking to most people for validation for my thing. So what I need to do is I need to go find the very specific person that's targeted and and get their feedback. And, um, but the process for what we did in the front end is largely the same. It's far less formalized, however, because when you're a startup company, you don't, you don't have that kind of gravity with us, with your supply chain. You're, you're begging for table scraps. And uh, and you don't have an existing sales channel necessarily. You kind of have to create your own because the ma- buyers at the major retailers are looking for for products that uh, that that are that are far more um, com- commonly needed b- by more people. So now you c- create all these other issues, and in order to solve this problem for a few people, you're going to have to build all these workarounds. But I think that same concept is. You know, you have to create value everywhere along the, of, along the value chain if you're selling a, a product, okay, for each partner along the way. And once you've checked the boxes that all of the participants in the value chain are seeing more value than what they were doing yesterday, then you got a winner.
0: And I wanna call some more specific attention to something you've said a couple of times thus far in this conversation, and that's that's about finding the problem. So I wanna reinforce this for everyone that's listening. So in the work that we do and the people we engage with to build apps or cool products or whatever they're, whatever they're looking to do, we often see a lot of people that are trying to start with an answer and then going to try to find problems and questions from that. We've seen that be a serious uphill battle. So a lot of what you've said here today, Don, and, and your experience and your success in product, and a lot of reinforcement in that, finding that problem, finding that obvious unmet need, I think is critical. So we communicate that a lot, too. I just want to draw specific. I wanted to really reinforce that point. So, again, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I think we've got a ton of great content. Uh, I've got a couple of quick <laughs> questions here before we wrap up. And that one is okay. going to be what resources product resources books anything might you recommend for our audience to learn more about any of this content and just get better sure
1: yeah um you know earlier on in my career before i made the jump to becoming an entrepreneur i read this book by christensen called clayton m christensen called the innovators dilemma uh when new technologies cause great firms to fail But the story isn't really about failure it's really about success and it's about looking at uh, and understanding this concept of disruptive technologies and uh, i thought that that kind of gave me the, the license to think disruptively and i think
0: that's helpful for any entrepreneur perfect and that's a great example another very popular work in the space that i am super glad that you mentioned so i'll link to that in the notes as well too so people can check that out for anyone who's curious thank you for sharing and then uh last question i have for you is who should reach out to you uh why should they be looking to reach out to you and how can they get in touch with you
1: you know the best way to reach out to me is probably through linkedin uh, because that way you can kind of look at my background and and see that I wasn't all you were expecting or uh or you might see that uh, I was a better fit. I'm happy to help people out uh with advice. Um but it's worth exactly what you pay for it. You know, if you don't pay me for it, it's probably not worth much, uh but I I will share uh my perspectives and uh and experiences with other people, but I may be wrong. Uh, So you need to get lots of points of view and uh, and, you know, look for us, uh, look for us in the surf shops uh, all around the world. And if you see a handboard, think, oh, I heard I heard the guy that did that.
0: Outstanding. Thank you for sharing that, Don. I really appreciate it. And I will share that with the audience and then include some links in the show notes below. Then uh, also, I I just want to recommend to everybody to definitely check out uh, your website, handboards.com. And to be prepared to be mesmerized by your videos because they are super engaging. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on this website and I'm taking a look at these videos. And the only thing I could think of is how badly I want to actually test one of these <laughs> and give it a shot. So be prepared for that if you can, if you, when you make a visit. So that's fantastic. Uh, Don, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and sharing uh, with us your story and all of your experience. It's super helpful for us and our audience.
1: You're welcome. And uh, I think what you're doing is very important and very helpful. And I wish you the very best of luck.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast powered by Next Step. If you're looking for help with your product business in the area of product strategy or product management, please feel free to reach out to Next Step to learn more about how we can help at hello at nextstep.io. That's hello at nxtstep.io. Additionally, if you know anyone who has experience building, running, or managing a product or product business and would like to be a guest on our show to share their story, please have them reach out to our organizer at podcast at That's podcast at Thanks and keep disrupting.